We're starting a new series in the book of Acts, exciting series that's going to take us uh, through towards Christmas, and we're going to begin in Acts chapter 1. So the reading is taken from Acts 1, 1 to 26, and that's page 1655. In my former book... Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up for us. For one of these men, 
must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. And then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Amen. Thanks, Sally. Morning, everyone. Well, with uh, a new academic year comes a new series in the book of Acts. And with it, not a new vision, but certainly a renewed vision to see the good news of the gospel advance to the far reaches of this world. So why don't we pray together as we come to this new series that God would use the book and our journey through it to help us in that work together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now, help us to not just learn things about you, but help us to learn to love you and help us to learn to love those who are around us. Lord, fill us with an excitement that we are part of this great mission of taking your gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus to the ends of this earth. Fill us with an expectancy of what you can do by the power of your spirit and the hearts of your people. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. You'll no doubt be uh, familiar with the phrase mission impossible. Yet when it comes to the advance of the gospel, we're not talking about mission impossible. In fact, we're not even talking about mission possible. We're not talking about something that can happen or could happen or may happen. We're talking about mission unstoppable. The good news of the Lord Jesus is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the very ends of this earth. And not one thing or one person stop it. Don't know whether you've seen this film, Unstoppable, came out in 2010. Based on a real life story of a runaway freight train, driverless train, carrying this lethal cargo of toxic flammable material hitting speeds of 80 miles an hour. And it was Denzel Washington's job, basically with a few of the people, to bring this unstoppable train to a stop. And being a Hollywood blockbuster, of course, they achieved it. And the unstoppable train was stopped. Great film, bad title. Because the train was anything but unstoppable, right? Yet when we come to the advance of the gospel in the book of Acts, when we track the journey of the monumental news of Jesus to the far corners of this world, it really is mission unstoppable. Nobody can stop it. No amount of internal division within the church, no amount of external opposition, no new state rules that come in to try and squeeze the life out of the gospel. Nothing or no one can stop the advance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the very ends of this earth. And as we journey through the back book of Acts together, it's an invite really. It's an invite for every single one of us to join the Lord Jesus in his mission. Mission unstoppable. Have a look at Acts 1. Verse 8, it's a pretty key verse to understanding both the purpose of Acts and the flow and the structure of this book. Jesus is speaking just before his ascension to the 11 apostles that remain, the 12 minus Judas who's betrayed him. And this is what he says to them, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. It's a key verse for two reasons. One, because it gives us the purpose of the book, but also the shape of the book. You see, the book of Acts is an historical account, eyewitness accounts of this advance of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, etc. to the very ends of the earth. That's what the book of Acts is about. It is a record of that journey of the gospel outwards. But that little verse also gives us the shape to the book of Acts. Have a look at the diagram coming on the screen here. You may have heard of the, that old comedy that used to be on TV, ever-decreasing circles. Yet when it comes to the movement of the gospel, it's about the ever-increasing circles of the movement of the gospel outwards. Because Acts chapter 1 to 7 is all about the activity of the gospel in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8 to 12 is about the movement of the gospel beyond Jerusalem to the suburbs of Judea and the farer reaches of Samaria. Just flick if you were to Acts chapter 8 verse 1 and you'll see that movement out at this crucial point in the book of Acts. After the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, at the end of chapter 7 we read in chapter 8 verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This moment of persecution actually spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And chapter 8 to 12 of Acts track that journey out. And then from chapter 13 to chapter 28, we read of the continuing advance of the gospel throughout what we now know as Europe all the way to Rome, the then capital of the modern world, and by implication from there to the very ends of the earth. But of course there's another circle to put on, right? Because Acts isn't the end of the story. It doesn't finish at Acts. Until the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns, there is work to be done. There are places that the gospel still needs to go. Unreached parts of this world and indeed unreached parts even of our own communities. And the book of Acts is bringing us into this journey, into this story that we would join Jesus in this mission as we long to see the gospel continue its journey outwards. Hence the importance of this book for us today. Before we move on to chapter one, there's one other important note, I guess, of, of introduction and context that's important as we come to the book of Acts, and it's this. Acts is actually volume two of a two-volume set. Have a look down at Acts 1 verse 1, how Luke the author introduces this book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. Notice in my former book, Theophilus, because this is volume two. Volume one is Luke's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is actually volume two. In essence, it's one book separated into two volumes. And if you do flick back to the end of Luke chapter 24, you can see how seamless the transition is between the end of Luke's gospel and the beginning of the book of Acts should come up on the screen there as well. Luke 24, verse 46 and 47. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer 
and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning where? At Jerusalem. You see, verse 46 really is a summary of the whole of Luke's gospel. It is the ministry of the Lord Jesus on earth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Verse 47 is a summary of the book of Acts. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. It is the continued ministry of Jesus, not on earth now, but from heaven. You see, historically, the book of Acts has been called because it records the acts of the apostles, and it does. Others have advocated that maybe it should be called the Acts of the Spirit because of the prominence of the coming of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But if we're going to be faithful to the whole course of Luke through Acts, probably a better title is actually the Acts of Jesus. This is the ongoing Acts, the ongoing ministry of Jesus by the power of his Spirit through his apostles and subsequently his wider church in order that the gospel would advance and everyone would get to hear about the Lord Jesus. I know that's a bit of a longer introduction than normal, but hopefully it sets up the series and where we're going to be journeying together. As we come to Acts chapter 1, we're just going to be looking at five headings, five key ingredients, if you like, to mission unstoppable. And the first one's there in verse 4 and 5, and it's the promise of the Spirit. Have a look at 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1. On one occasion before the ascension of Jesus, this is, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, here's the promise, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see it at the end of Luke's gospel again there. Look, Luke 24, verse 49. I am going to send you my father's but stay in the city. Stay in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. You see, it's not that the spirit wasn't present in the Old Testament period or indeed in the ministry of Jesus. But with the exception of a few individuals on whom the spirit rested, The operation of the Spirit before Acts chapter 2 was primarily external rather than internal. Here though Jesus is talking about being clothed with or filled with the Spirit, with the power of God. A gift which is not just for some believers, as we'll see as we make our way through Acts, but for all believers. And did you notice that in verse 4, there's a command before the promise. Look, in verse 4, wait, says Jesus, don't go anywhere, stay in Jerusalem. And then the promise that you will receive the Spirit. And the result, Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. And you see, the order is absolutely crucial. Wait, then receive And then you will go. You see, if the gospel really is going to go to the very ends of this earth, then we need the help of the Spirit to take it there. To paraphrase the words of Jesus here, don't even think about doing ministry in your own strength without the help of the Spirit. 
Now for us today, of course, we live post-Pentecost. We don't have to wait in the same way that the disciples did. The moment you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is the moment that the Spirit of God comes to take residence in your heart and make a permanent home in your heart. The Spirit of God lives within us. Yet there's still a danger as believers today that we try and do this work in our own strength. It's me and my own to get the gospel out there. But it's not. Because the Spirit needs to do its work in our hearts to give us that power and courage to take the gospel out. D.L. Moody, a great American evangelist, I've maybe quoted this before, says, and he says this in the context of public preaching really, he who stands best kneels most. He who stands best for Christ in this world, who proclaims the gospel simply and faithfully and clearly, is the man who is on his knees most, crying out to God that by his spirit in our heart, he would liberate us to go and share the good news of Jesus. He who stands best, we who stand best, will kneel most. Need the help of the Spirit. And we're going to be thinking about this a lot more as we come to Acts chapter 2 next week. Firstly, the promise of the Spirit. Secondly, the proclamation of the gospel. Have a look down at verse 6. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You can almost feel the excitement in their question, can't you? The disciples are recipients of this wonderful promise. And is this it then? God, is this the final fulfillment of all that you've promised? Is your kingdom going to come in all its glory now? And Jesus, in verse 7, directs their attention away from the now. He says, don't worry about the when. You concentrate on the what. Look at what he says, verse 7. He said to him, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't worry about that. That's my work. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says, don't worry about the when. You worry about what. Concern yourself with the proclamation of the gospel. Have a look at the little phrase there again in verse 8 underlined. You will be my witnesses, says Jesus. He's speaking firstly to the 11 apostles. Those who had walked with Jesus through life. Those who had witnessed all his mighty words and works. And Jesus says to them, now it's your job, apostles, To stand before this world and to witness, to testify to the glory of me, says Jesus. Risen King Jesus. But you see, as you continue to read through the book of Acts, it becomes clear that this is a a privilege, not just for the 11 apostles, but for the wider church. You see, in Acts chapter 7, we read of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, killed for taking the Acts chapter 8, we read of Philip, who took the gospel to Samaria, neither of which are numbered here in the 11. You see, this isn't just a privilege for the initial disciples of Jesus. It is something for us all today. It's not just a wonderful work to be a part of, but Jesus gives us such an encouragement as well, doesn't he? In verse 5, it's already come. The promise of the Spirit. 
Because if you sit there this morning, slightly daunted by the task that is before this church, this local church and the wider church, then please remember this is in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is within us and the Spirit goes before us. Just like it did when God led his people out of Egypt, the pillar of cloud and fire, taking his people through the Red Sea to the promised land. So the spirit goes before us. You see, the book of Acts, it isn't just that the spirit lives within us. The spirit is a step ahead of the game all the time, going to the next city, going to people, preparing hearts for God's people to follow and share the gospel to to hearts that are already prepared for it. You see, this work isn't us in our own strength. Let's muster all we've got. Us against the world, let's go. That's not the story. The story is the Spirit's already gone before us. And it is our wonderful privilege to jump in behind what the Spirit is doing, to slipstream what the Spirit is doing as we join the Lord Jesus in mission unstoppable. The promise of the Spirit key ingredient. The proclamation of the gospel, key ingredient. And thirdly, the ascension of Jesus. Have a look down at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Can you imagine that moment when the Lord Jesus was taken to glory? You see, if the resurrection of Jesus proves and shows that Jesus is king, his ascension is like his coronation as he heads up to glory to heaven to take up his seat on his throne and to take up his rightful crown. But try and imagine for a moment the arrival of this king who has suffered and died and arrived in glory. See, what we get in verse 9 is the earthly perspective. We watch almost with the apostles as they watch Jesus go. But try and picture it for a moment with the angels in glory when the Lord Jesus arrives. Can you imagine? Oh, what a scene. What a scene as the angels bow down and they praise and adore the Lord Jesus who has died for the sin of the people, who has risen and conquered the grave and has ascended victoriously to sit on the throne. But as the praise and the adulation somehow, some point, dies down enough for the angels to converse with the Lord Jesus, so they ask him, Jesus, what now? How is your kingdom going to extend now? You've died for sin. You've risen again. You've ascended to heaven. But how are you going to populate this place with your people? And Jesus brings the angels in closely. He says to them, here's how. And he points down to 11 apostles who are still cluelessly looking up into the sky. And he says, through them, because I'm going to give them my spirit. And it's a powerful spirit. And they're going to go in my name. And they're going to take the good news of the gospel to the very ends of this earth. And guess what? You're a Christian here today, if you are, because they did just that in the power of the spirit. Exactly as Jesus said. And you know what? It's no different today. An angel turns to the Lord Jesus and says, Jesus, how are you going to keep this going? How are you going to keep growing your kingdom? He says, same way. See that little group of people gathered there? Long Crendon Baptist Church. And by the way, they're not the only ones. There's Tame and Haddenham and there's Wheatley. There's Buckingham. They're all over the place now, right? I've already given them my spirit. 
The fullness of God lives within my people and they will go and they will keep going and they will keep going until verse 11. The Lord Jesus returns in the same way he went. What a work to be a part of. The promise of the Spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, the ascension of Jesus, the prayerfulness of the people, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present get a list of the apostles along with them, the women and men, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And verse 14, look, they all joined together constantly in prayer. As commanded, the apostles return and they wait in Jerusalem. But as they gather, gather together in the upper room, do you know what? They're not killing time playing cards, checking Facebook or watching TV. What are they doing? They are gathered together as one, constantly praying for the fulfillment of all that God has promised, holding God to those wonderful gospel promises, and they gather and they pray. I wonder if Dr. Luke, who writes this account of Luke and Acts, I wonder if he was to look at the life of Long Crendon over the course of a day, a week, a month, a year, I wonder whether he'd record those same words. Would he see a group of people knowing their weakness, but coming together as one by the grace of God to call out to God earnestly that he would do his work by his power in our hearts to see the gospel go out? I wonder if that is a description that Luke would use, because it was throughout the book of Acts. We talk about the gospel, 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 but prayer, 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 prayer all the time. The gospel is going to go out. It is based on reliant, dependent people calling upon their God to do it. The promise of the spirit, the proclamation of the gospel, ascension of Jesus, the prayerfulness of the people. And lastly, the appointment of Matthias in verse 15. I wonder when you heard the reading, whether you thought, why is that there? Why is Luke recorded and actually given quite a significant amount of time to the replacement of Judas who betrayed Jesus with Matthias? You see, verse 14 ends with them all together praying. Wouldn't it just be better if Luke jumped straight to Acts chapter 2 verse 1? Let me read it from verse 14 to Acts chapter 2 verse 1 and see the flow look. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That flows brilliantly, doesn't it? So why has Luke then recorded this specific detail for us? Especially when we don't hear one other thing of Matthias in the book of Acts. Gets no more airtime. So why this section? Well, let me give you two reasons. Firstly, Judas's betrayal of Jesus was a major failure in leadership that needed to be acknowledged and rectified. You see, Luke's purpose in writing the book of Acts isn't to give us an idealized picture of the church. It is to show the church warts and all. Not to set a false picture of what church life is like or how hard mission is, but to tell us the bare facts, the nuts and bolts of this is what it's like. This is what it was like. This is what it will be like. 
You see, the old saying is so true, isn't it? The best of men are simply men at best. And as you work through Acts, you will see failure upon failure upon failure, who God graciously uses still to extend his kingdom. But secondly, there is another reason why it records this here as it does. And it's because there is scriptural warrant to bring the apostleship back up to 12. You see, in verse 15, we have the first church member meeting in the New Testament, chaired by the lead apostle, Peter. And you know the first point on the agenda? In line with scripture, let's bring the apostleship back up to 12. And he goes on to quote from two Psalms there. Let me read to you from verse 20. For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning with John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us, of his resurrection you see the number 12 is hugely significant throughout the scriptures and without doubt there is continuity here between the 12 tribes of israel god's old testament people and the 12 apostles god's new testament church and with the restoration of the 12 with the appointment of matthias so the new testament apostleship is complete and they can lay the foundation for the new testament church through the preaching of the gospel in the power of the spirit Now, there's a lot more, of course, that could be said on these verses here. But let me leave you with two things as we draw things to a conclusion. Number one, failed leadership, as much as it hinders the advance of the gospel, will not prevent it. The book of Acts is full of obstacles, both internal and external, and nothing, no one can prevent it. Why? Because this is God's work. This is mission unstoppable. We're simply joining God in what he is doing. But secondly, let us rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus continues to direct his church from heaven. Verse 24. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. You see, the Lord Jesus may be absent in body, but he is present by his spirit with the church, guiding his church, leading his church, empowering his church and building his church that we might live as his people for his glory. And in so doing witness this world until the day that the Lord Jesus returns. The promise Matthew chapter 16, on the declaration that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus will build his church, nothing can stop it, it's a promise. And he will use his people, me and you, with all our frailty and with all our weakness, no one can stop it, it's a promise. And the gospel will reach every single corner of this globe and every community because it's a promise. And it's our privilege, our privilege to join Jesus in this magnificent work. Why don't you take a minute just to reflect. We're going to come to the Lord's table 
in a moment, but as you reflect on this wonderful story of the gospel going out, it's a story that continues. Why don't you thank God in the quietness of your heart for the privilege of being a part of what God is doing in his world? Take a minute.